spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome back to the Believe in Vanderbilt football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by betonline.ag. In the Music City, I'm Matt Perkins, and I'm joined, as always, by Commodore legend and NFL vet Ryan Seymour. Ryan, good to see you as always, buddy. Good to see you as well, man. we got a special guest with us today. Great, great friend of mine, Tennessee, Tennessee native, Tennessee like all-star. Uh, Aaron Dugan is joining us today. What's that up, might Aaron? be generous, but I'll take it. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Tennessee legend. I mean, yeah, see, I didn't. Yeah, Memphis. Memphis born, dropped. you know, Nash, Nashville growed up, I guess. I mean, yep. maybe Nashville grew up. Exactly. So uh, we are delighted to have Aaron here with us today. If you don't know Aaron, she's an SEC Network contributor, host of the Fringe Element podcast, Vandy alum, a all around media producer, and I would just say all around media badass. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, pretty awesome to have her on. Before we jump into the show, I want to remind you guys that we are brought to you by our presenting sponsor, BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. They've got you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head on over to the website, BetOnline.ag, or download the mobile app to start today. BetOnline, your online sports book experts Aaron wait did you did you bet on some ponies this weekend Aaron no I didn't and honestly it's it's funny that I did it because working at Vanderbilt or for a school we were never allowed to bet on anything because it's against NCAA regu- regulations I guess we could have bet on I guess we could bet on the Derby, but I'm just so out of the habit of doing it because we were never allowed to that I always forget and then I get really bummed because it would make the race a lot more fun. Look at Aaron following the rules, scholar, just a straight A student. I follow some <laughs> of the rules. I follow any rules that will. Did you, you dress know, up? Did you, get, had, did you get a big hat? No, I've never been oh. to the Derby, but it's definitely on my oh bucket my list. Goodness. I want to go. Have y'all been? I have not. I have. Yeah, yeah. I went. I went. Uh, I went. Of course, you have. 20, 2015, I think it was. That was the same year that Manny Pacquiao was fighting Floyd Mayweather, and I was at the Derby. Literally, like. And I, I, a friend of mine gave us these really good seats. We were in this thing mm-hmm. called Turf. We we're in this thing called the Turf Club, and it's where like all the celebrities hang out. And I'm over, I'm looking around. I'm like, oh man, what's up, Gronk? Hey, what's up? Brady? No, that's when Gronk flew straight from. Yes, yeah, so I'm the sitting Derby there next to, to, the, to Vegas. To the fight, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sitting you know there. You they next, were hammered. So I'm right next to Tom and all these guys, and I'm sitting there looking at them. I'm like, damn. Man, this is great. I'm having a good time. I can't wait for the fight tonight. We're going to some bar to watch it with some friends. And we get to the bar <laughs> like three and a half hours later, and I'm watching on TV and I'm sitting there looking. I'm like, holy shit, the Patriots are at the dang fight in Vegas. Mm-hmm. They were just at the Derby like three hours ago. They're like, that's cool. You're going to watch it at a bar. We're actually going to the fight. 
yeah hey hey tom you, uh, you want to watch it later and he's like yeah no loser i'm going to the i'm actually going to it <laughs> getting on the pj getting on the private yeah. jet just going yeah. straight there that must was be pretty nice. sweet yeah must must be nice but they had a good time again this year i saw uh i saw the rogers was there and brady was there again and uh man i gotta go back <laughs> i know they don't they don't have a hard time having fun that's for sure that is for sure um well anyways uh man i was going over your like your resume a little bit before we got on the show today matt was talking about video guru uh just looking a little bit you're with espn athlon vanderbilt athletics um i want to kind of dive into well first of all this is the vanderbilt podcast what made you choose what made you choose vandy that's kind of a we ask Mm. a lot of the athletes that but it did you get recruited to go to Vandy? How was that no. process? Unfortunately, no? the dance team isn't isn't um high enough. Yeah, that was my next question. Hierarchy get to get recruited. The- no, we maybe got enough scholarship money to like fund the fake eyelashes we had to wear to every game. Like that's about what our scholarship looked like. It was not a recruitable sport, nor was it highly lucrative, but it was a lot of fun. I I definitely wanted a school. I mean, I grew up around sports. I didn't, you know, I was a Memphis fan growing up, um, but, you know, we're an hour away from Oxford and, you know, I had family, like distant, more distant family that went to Vanderbilt. um, And my little brother ended up going to Tennessee. We'll forgive him someday, but. um, Right. Yeah. I know blood runs cold, but it was just a perfect mixture because I wanted the big school sports experience. I was just too much of like sports geek, grew up around it. And I wanted to dance. Um. uh, also high up on my list was LSU. They, um, I have family in Louisiana, but those would have been very different. But it was just a perfect blend of academics, and then I still got the big SEC sports experience. What about Nashville? And, did, oh, did, yeah, did Nashville I was that. Ha- and Nashville yeah. wasn't Nashville was awesome, but it wasn't that big of a. It was no, close to it wasn't. home. But it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a sell. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't the ultimate tourist destination, like you know, up with like Vegas and LA. Like it wasn't right. like that when we when you and I went to school, Ryan. So, um, but I, I loved it. I would never change it for the world. I would have lived on campus all four years still, um, like mm-hmm. most of us did. And it was just, it was just an awesome all around experience. And just, of course, the relationships I made there and ending up, you know, working back there. Um, absolutely. I mean, for anyone, uh, I mean, I have always seen you so involved with so many different parts of the program, either just hanging out with guys on Saturdays, and, you know, going out together or just seeing you around campus, having lunch to being in the McGugan Center. I just always saw you I, like you were someone that I always noticed, but had such a big impact and was always around the, you know, the, the Vanderbilt Athletic Center and the Vanderbilt athletes. Like what was your like, what was that? Where did that passion come from? I guess, you know, finding your kind of niche in sports and always feeling like it's kind of been a part of your life, at least since I've known you. Well, that's funny. I mean. I would just, I think a lot of it just came from my family. Um, I mean, my parents are diehard Memphis fans. Like I can't even, like, I don't think I missed a home game till I was like 13 and it was for a dance competition Mm -hmm. or a soccer game. It was not because I was just missing a game. My parents went to a university of Memphis game on their wedding day. It was a 12 PM kick. 6 p.m. wedding. Um, not kidding. I think my mom left at halftime <laughs> to get ready. Like that's that's where we were. So I, I grew you. up going to those. My dad always like called me his firstborn son because I was, you know, there's a lot of girly stuff I was into. I was dance, but I also played soccer and um I was just used to like, you know, shooting the shit with them and 
hanging mm-hmm. around with them. And, you know, it's, you know, we have a seven-year-old girl and a crew of like 35 year old dudes or whatever, just talking football all the time. Like you're going to pick up on it. Um, yeah. and then it was probably the shock factor after that. Like I realized how funny it was to, you know, start talking about, you know, offensive schemas and world and like guys looking around, like how in the world does she know that? So I'm sure part of it was just the shock factor for me. I'm imagining like, remember the Titans, like, come on, coach. Kind of, my, I've been compared. My dad compares me to her and her, whoever Hayden Panettiere. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Panettiere. Okay. Well, cause I watch a lot of key and peel and they make fun. They like make fun of her name on one episode. And so now I always say it like them, but yeah, like the remember, remember the Titans vibes. Um, and then mm-hmm. just growing up around it. And obviously like in college, thankfully with dance, I got to be right up close, like on the sidelines with you guys on the basketball court in Memorial. And, um, there's yeah, just a couple, no way. couple of really good memorable seasons during your tenure at Vandy. Obviously we, one year we won the SEC championship in basketball, yep. ended up going to a few, a, a few bowl games, uh, game, you know, your junior, day. senior year. Game we had day our freshman game, year. game day freshman year when we ended up uh, going. Yeah. We were like five and zero playing Auburn at home. Yep. Uh, that was awesome. So definitely some really good memorable, uh, memorable seasons during your tenure at Vandy for sure. We were spoiled in terms of like the trajectory of most people's experience at Vandy, like coming mm-hmm. in freshman year, winning the music city bowl. And we had a couple of years like that on the downswing, but then, you know, our senior year or you took a, you took a fifth year. Yeah, I did. My, so my junior year, my redshirt junior, junior year, year went to Memphis, put Memphis in the Liberty Bowl. Yep. And my redshirt senior year, we had the Music City Bowl. And then the year after I left, we went again. Yeah. Franklin. So we, I mean, we, we were kind of spoiled-ish. You may not feel that way. But in terms of like, you know, having a couple bowl game appearances in four years at Vanderbilt is rare. Oh, I'm, I'm certainly, I certainly am proud of, you know, some of the things that we did as a, as a program uh, you know, during my time at Vandy and I was very blessed to have coach Franklin come in. Um, now you, you talked about obviously being right there on the sidelines with us on the football fields or point in the basketball courts. Is that how you kind of built some of those relationships to kind of get your foot in the door with Vanderbilt athletics? Like how did that, how did that kind of, uh, you know, how did that come to fruition? Yeah. So I Mm -hmm. think if I, and you guys asked me also how I got into this and maybe these two answers kind of go together, one being a little bit earlier than the other, but really where all of this came from is in, in Memphis. And then I'll answer the Vanderbilt part of that. But in Memphis, I watched a city that is so super, super divided and behind in a lot of ways. Although when we look at our country now, right now, it still feels extremely divided, but Memphis, because of socioeconomic class, because of race, although those often have time, like have to do with each other. And then just a lot of other things like sports was the only thing I saw growing up where it didn't matter if you're white, black, yellow, red, purple girl, but female, male, um, super rich have nothing. Like when the Grizzlies were in the playoffs, everybody got along. Like when Memphis is doing really well, everybody got along. You're sitting like high-fiving next to someone that grew up in orange mound. Even if you grew up in like Sorry, I hit the mic. Someone that grew up in Orange Mound, even if you're like right next to somebody who grew up in the nicest part of Midtown or or East Memphis, like everybody's on the same playing field. And I think ultimately that's what really drove me towards sports and towards and video was just a good marriage of of the way to tell those stories. So I think with Vanderbilt, like a lot of my relationships were kind of just groomed on like I I try to be a really good listener 
Um, sometimes I'm not all that good at it, but I, I've really tried to do that. And I think just really wanting to know why people got to where they were, why they ended up at Vanderbilt or why they played their sport and just kind of listening to people's stories is, is really how I think I groomed those relationships. Um, and not because I thought it would get me somewhere, but just because I think it's really interesting. That's definitely what's carried me through, um, doing the video aspect of, you know, in my job at Vanderbilt after going back there, like, yes, I probably got back in the door because I had relationships with, with people that, um, you know, I had worked for video briefly, just part-time when I was done with dance my senior year, um, for Stephen parks and, and the video team there just when I had spare time, but throughout my, the, my job at Vanderbilt, how I, you know, got people to open up or feel comfortable or vulnerable on camera or comfortable or vulnerable enough to tell their life story, which oftentimes has some really dark spots was just like trust and just building those relationships. So I guess that was a very long-winded answer, but I think all those things kind of like tie up into, you know, the SEC network storytelling Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. part of everything. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. And one of the things I want to talk to you about, because you also do a lot of work behind the camera, Mm -hmm. right? You're a photographer. You do you know, you're not just on camera interviewing people. And so what is you know, how did you get into that? And which one do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy more being on camera or being behind the camera? Um, In front of the camera. No, honestly, no, really not. I love that part of it. I think it's really good because it requires you to learn how to think on your feet and Mm -hmm. pivot. And, you know, just like being on the field, like, you know, learning what to do right in that scenario. And guess what? Like you don't get a redo, so don't mess it up. But honestly, some of those same situations come down to the behind the camera interview phase too, because there's certain times in an interview where you just has to trust your instincts and go on what question makes sense next. And if you, if you don't lay them out correctly, or if you don't do things in a way that allows people to be emotionally vulnerable or feel comfortable, then you're going to miss a good opportunity. So I think just my learning how to just pivot and learning that you don't get redos and also that you can't obsess over something that's already happened was really good for me. I think it's, I think it's fun to do sideline. I like being on the you know, especially baseball, I had a really, really good time doing like SEC network sideline for baseball, but ultimately the storytelling factor is what I'm most passionate about. I would trade the sideline for the behind the scenes, like Perry Wallace documentary I did or Jawan Williams. And I just have like an ongoing rule of like, when in doubt, leave yourself out. So like if, if I don't move the story forward, then I leave myself out of it. Um, and that's a, I might, that might be a Tom Rinaldi thing. I can't remember where I got that, but, um, it's a really good rule of thumb. So I love both, but if I had to pick one, I would pick the documentary style stuff with or without me in it. Awesome. Well, I mean, so natural at it, obviously both ways. I mean, I love seeing you out there. I went to a few games last year. I saw you a ton when you were out there, you know, interviewing some of the players, making some of the introductions on the Jumbotron. I saw some of your documentaries. And then I know just from doing these podcasts, I didn't realize how much prep work goes in a lot of these stories. And just like you kind of said, having to figure out what questions that's going to tie in perfectly with the next one. And also, you know, having the guts to just put yourself out there and ask, you know, maybe some uncomfortable questions or putting questions out there that are just going to make things kind of flow, even though it wasn't necessarily on your, you know, to-do list or chart. One of the things I was going to ask you, now that you've worked a ton with kind of behind the scenes and being on camera, do you see 
do you see things a little bit different now? Do you see sports differently? Do you see the athletes different now? Do you have a different perspective from when you were on the dance team versus now kind of behind the scenes? Like I have some of the guys that who like were playing and now getting to coaching, like what are some of the differences in those two things? Do you see the game differently now? I kind of wanted to apply that to you as well. Like now working behind the scenes a little bit, do you kind of see sports a little bit differently? Yes, I think that I do. Maybe not as much as some people would just coming into the their first experience with like up close and personal being like their job. Like because I, you know, kind of grew up around it and then the dance team and like you like the athletes, you know, we're all around each other all the time, like some of your closest friends. So like the the humanization, like humanizing people was already there Mm -hmm. for me. Like y'all were already humans to me. And then, so for me, maybe it wasn't as drastic, but yeah, I mean, I think that in general, when you do see sports differently in some, in some ways, that's good. In some ways it's, it's not. I've always, I've always, yeah. Like kind of what I was kind of getting at is I see you, obviously you do some podcasts recently and I know you Mm -hmm. guys talk, you do SEC breakdowns, talk about, you know, performance and things like that. You know, as a player, I've always been like really kind of, uh, you know, when I'm watching ESPN and I see someone talking about a player, or I see someone who's given a grade to a certain guy and we start kind of looking at them as a stat or start looking at yeah. that player as not so much as an athlete, it's just so much a number. That's something I've always struggled with. And that's something I've always kind of take offense to at times, even though I know, obviously, that's your that's your job. You're there to obviously give breakdowns. You're there to, you know, give stats. But I guess that was another question for me as well. Like, do you enjoy that part of the business? Is that something mm. that you don't you don't mind doing? Uh, does that ever weigh on you when you're doing a podcast and you're having to do a breakdown on someone? Like, I'd be sitting in the cafeteria and I'd be watching a story on ESPN about someone who I'm sitting right next to, right? You know, and I'm like, hey man, like you're on TV. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, what do you think about what they're saying about you? You know. Or yeah, uh, that's been interesting. You're like, that's not even true. Like I was there, you know, I don't know. 100%. Yeah. I think that sometimes, and maybe like, sometimes I call it lazy media and not all of it is l- like lazy. You have to do breakdowns for certain, certain people in their jobs. Thankfully, like the analytical side of it is not something that I am forced to do all that much. We do talk about it on the podcast a lot, but you'll notice, you know, if someone has a, you know, and normally our guests are really good, but if someone takes a really just like flat approach at something that's just totally not exploring the, you know, the dynamic or really the depth of the situation, like you'll always see me. Braden always says like, there goes Aaron on the players. Like the first thing I'm saying is, you know, people talking about this expansion of like, we should add this many games or we should add 12 or 16. And I'm like, well, you weren't in the athletic facility when guys were coming in in wheelchairs after week seven. So like, let's dial it back a little bit and like think think about really who we're talking about. So I, I am the first one and just from being around it to, to steer away from like the flat people as numbers and, and go more towards like, how is this really affecting like the future of the players or is this good for them? Or if it is good for them, or if at least, or if it's not like, how are they being compensated? Which is a whole nother conversation that's coming up more now, thankfully than it ever has. But yeah, I mean, turning someone into a number is not my favorite thing. And you'll see me Mm -hmm. steer away from that at any strategic time that I can, because I just, I don't see it like that. So I don't try to make myself see it like that. Yeah. It's very nice to have someone who can kind of relate to the players. And um, that's, that's really nice, but uh, yeah, it is a different, it's a different 
perspective. But then sometimes when you say, I think I said that, I don't know when the first time I said the wheelchair comment, it might've been with Braden and somebody mm-hmm. else on our podcast. And, you know, guys, sports radio guys don't get quiet very often. That's not really their thing, but um, they both kind of like, Hmm. Cause they don't think about, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm that guy was, you know, late to a meeting. Cause the elevator in McGugan took forever to like get down and he's, his leg is completely casted from like hip to foot. So, you know, stuff that we don't think about, cause it was, you know, you saw it all the time. Like sometimes good to, you know, make sure other people have that a little bit of a better painted picture of what it's really like. Well, speaking of numbers, do you think that, you know, as you've been doing more and more sports media, do you think that there is an over-reliance on analytics, advanced analytics, in terms of analysis and the way that we talk about the game, especially if we talk about football? Or do you think that that is just, you know, sort of like the, you know, the, uh, you know, the ever-present nature of things or just it's, it's sort of inevitable? You know, I think with how much media is surrounds all of these sports, like I'm not saying that everything numbers related is filler because it's not, but think about how many different networks and how many different mediums are trying to fill that an entire day, every day in the, even in the off season with content, like you almost have to like come up with stuff to like obsess over because it's already a lot of talking heads in the off season. And then it's like, for example, like whatever this, the, um, what rankings just came out from ESPN, what do they call them? The power rankings, whatever they're called. Power rankings. FPI I mean, they or whatever. Yeah. Well, Mississippi, oh yeah. Football power. Index, Mississippi yeah. state was like eight in the country when that thing came out, it was like, know about that so i mean you look at stuff like that and you're like hey how did that algorithm what does that algorithm even mean algorithm heart words are hard for me today um and then you know where did you get it but then maybe it's just so that we all explode and we're like mississippi state's not number eight maybe that's exactly what they wanted and we can talk about it for two weeks and then move on i do think i am definitely an intangibles person i understand that numbers are important and really indicative. And sometimes you have to use them to make judgments and assessments. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff is just not quantifiable, whether that's leadership tech, like technique, whether that's the calming presence on the sidelines when you're down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And, you know, someone has the ability to be like, we're good. Um, you know, the level headedness of being able to get back to the middle. Corbin always talks about that. Um, you know, just being able to settle back in the middle, never get too high or too low. Like there are a lot of intangibles that I think go a really, really long way. And if those were quantifiable, we would be talking about them a lot more. Yeah. Do you think that sort of focus on the intangible comes from sort of the way you grew up experiencing sports with your dad and his friends? Yeah, I I do. I think that, and I I rely really, really heavily on intuition in a a lot of areas of my life. Um, And maybe that is why, um, or that's maybe my like natural leaning towards intuition to make a decision just because that's the way my personality is, or that's the way I've found how to navigate interviews or how to make people comfortable or how to make people, you know, trust me with their story, whatever that may be. Um, yeah. So I think that probably leans more towards the, you know, the intangible side. Um, and maybe it's also just because, you know, to me, 
the numbers seem flat when I'm watching a guy in person every single day. Um, like Ryan said, like, you know, come up on TV and, and, you know, then him be this stat number that sounds like, but you're realizing that he's one of the glues of practice that keeps things running and keeps other guys up and, and is a calming presence or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, I, I think that I, I just navigate more in that realm than I do like numbers and hard takes. So for whatever reason that may be. That's awesome. All right. Well, before we get into uh, talking about some specific guys, maybe not numbers per se, I want to remind you guys that we have another new sponsor here on the show, Kanan Sunglasses. It's time to make your outdoor experiences better with Kanan. Kanan Sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics so that the lenses are clearer, lighter, and stronger. Their Italian handcrafted frames are impossible to scratch, and they look good on everyone so use the exclusive code kanancast15 at kanan.com to receive 15 percent off on your first pair that's k-a-e-n-o-n-c-a-s-t-1-5 kanan clearly better ryan's favorite slogan in all of the world right now i want new sunglasses can y'all get me some or use the promo code use the promo code kanan15 kanancast15 yeah i'll do that uh, so let's talk about specific guys. Uh, we just had the draft this past weekend, and only one Commodore got taken, but uh, Deo Dengbo is headed to Indianapolis. Do you feel like he's a good fit with the Colts? You know, that is, and this is interesting. This whole thing has been like, I'm, ex- I'm expanding outside of my normal realm. I was not raised an NFL fan. Obviously I follow it now, um, but didn't grow up on that. Like I grew up on college football and obviously I've lived in a very sec Vanderbilt specific realm for a really long time. So I know a lot about the teams where I'm following guys specifically. I'm not, not, I'm not going to pretend like I'm super, super in tune with exactly what the Colts have been doing or if Dio is a fit. Um, Cause I don't really know. Um, I know a lot about, you know, certain, I watch the Titans. I follow the Packers, like wherever you guys, like whether it be Ryan or Casey Hayward or wherever those guys ended up, like I always followed really closely, but I don't have a really good grasp on what the Colts schema is. I do know the Dio is a super, super um, versatile player. He's a really good learner. He really leans into, you know, picking up on every piece of knowledge that he can, whether it's from his coaches or the other guys. So I have, I think that if there, if there is any chance of him being successful, he will find a way. Um, I don't know a lot about the Colts offense, but maybe you guys can, or the Colts in general Colts on off either side of the ball. So you maybe you guys can educate me a little bit more about whether you think he's a fit or not. Well, I think that he's just a fit in general, whether you play a 3-4 or a 4-3. Now, I'm pretty sure that the Colts these, are, are, these days are playing a... They're playing a 4-3. They've got Darius Leonard in the middle, uh, a middle linebacker who's just sort of like just running around the field tackling everybody. Ever since he came to the league, I think he's the league leader in tackles. And Odengbo's a really good fit as a 4-3 end who can actually bump inside on passing downs and can rush the passer not just from the edge, but can actually, you know play whether that's head up on a guard or in sort of like a, a four technique and i think that he he has that same versatility and the fact that they drafted him uh, along with quitty pay in the first round uh two pass rushers means that they think that that is a position of need for the team which 
to me would indicate that he is going to have plenty of opportunities to make an impact as a rookie. I don't know what you think, Ryan. Uh, well, I'm kind of with Aaron on this one. I wish I had more to comment on about what technical scheme and how he's going to fit in with the Colts. I'm actually more kind of happy in the sense that it, I love that we were able to bring Javon Hay into the program with, with Vandy, obviously him being the former alumni and just, you know, obviously producing a second round draft pick this year. Uh, I think that's just awesome. I think that's uh, really Really good news for Commodore fans, obviously, as we're keeping up and watching Coach Lee in this former spring game and kind of where the program is headed. Aaron obviously spent a lot of time there with Coach Mason, which I definitely want to kind of dive into here in a little bit. But I'm definitely happy to see, obviously, a lot of positive things coming off of, you know, 2020 and going into 2021 of this new football season. Um, some of the assistant coaches that they hired. But I just love the fact that um, – that Vanderbilt is now becoming a contender, obviously in the draft, obviously putting out a second round draft pick. That's huge. I mean, I can't, we don't have that many second round draft picks. So uh, very, very happy to see the success of that young man. And obviously the success that uh, coach Javon Hay is having with the program. And obviously we're going to keep producing these, these new studs. And I hope this becomes a norm year in and year out with uh, under coach Lee's management. Um, but what I definitely want to kind of lean more back into um, is talking about Aaron and your, uh, your tenure with the Vanderbilt Athletic Department. Can you talk? Can you kind of talk about what your experience was like um, working in the Guggen Center? Yeah. Oh gosh. I there's so much to that. So let me ask you this. Okay. So were you okay? What What was your first year um, kind of on full staff? Because I know you said didn't you do some internships when you were uh, still a student? Yeah. So I did. I interned with Athlon Sports when they were still like. I mean, there are a lot has changed within that company since I was there, but they mm -hmm. still had the sports, um, like the big preseason college magazines with like, you know, yes. local guys on the cover. Yep. And I was, I actually started like the video. Those are awesome. I see those in Kroger. I used to always yeah. pick them up. I'd always flip to the Danny page. It would have like a highlight of like three or four guys mm -hmm. on there. And have There's like something about picking it up. Like, yeah. I know that we're like really, really largely digital and almost primary and almost only that, but there mm -hmm. is something about holding it and people kind of treated it as a collector's item, um, in a sense. So I did that. I actually started the video, basically started the video effort slash department at Athlon before going back to Vanderbilt. And the first year I was back at Vanderbilt was 2015 or 16. Mm -hmm. In 2016 was there, um, ended up, I moved up and ended at my like tenure there as the director of video production for athletics. So my boss, Steven Parks was over all of, I called him, I called him associate AD of anything with an on switch. That was like my, okay. um, that my joke, because, you know, football staff would come in and be like, my computer monitor's not on, but he was also in charge of all things, you know, like SEC network and all things social and all things, everything with an mm -hmm. on switch. So, um, he was above me, but I had like, that's where I really feel like I kind of came into my own. Like he put a lot of, I credit him with, um, a lot of what I was able to do there because he just kind of trusted me and had faith in my skill set and just trusted my instincts and mm -hmm. just told me like, if you think it's a good idea, do it. Um, which you don't necessarily get a lot of bosses like that, especially in, you know, something that's so forward facing like media or TV or whatever. Yeah. You have to have a large trust. I always, think, I always think there always has to be some sort of hidden agenda or something that's pushing a certain subject. The fact that obviously your boss was able to give you that creativity to put together stories and just let you make the call. But I think this is going to be good. That's pretty, that's pretty neat. Cause I've always really thought lucky. like, Hey, how much of that is 
actually coming from, you know, Aaron or how much is that coming from the university? But, you know, so I always kind of wonder what that, uh, what that was like. Mm-hmm. And, if, and how is that, how is that different, I guess, working for a university and working for like an actual team versus, you know, working with like ESPN and, and um, uh, Athlon, excuse me. Right. And uh, how was how are those two different? One is, um, I, but the first word that the first thing that comes to mind for me is that like one is like wildly personal and like me being inside a school and like seeing these guys and girls every single day, like sitting down and eating with them at lunch. Like when I figured out that we were going to do a story, I mean, my biggest thing that, and one of the things I'm most proud of is the, the documentary I did on Perry Wallace, which was in my very first year there. It was a 30 minute full length piece for SEC network. Um, and it was all about like, you know, trailblazing. And that's something I'm super passionate about is just like the quality of everything. I really just want everybody <laughs> sounds so cheesy, but like, I really just want people to realize that we're all this more the same than different. And that was my real, that was my real first shot at doing that. And I was at times like, in over my head. I was sleeping under my desk. I mean, I didn't like that. I had never done anything like that. And it went from that to like a full 30 minute piece on the network. And that's a large responsibility to get somebody else's story. Right. Um, it's a real, it's an honor for someone to trust you with it. And then for it to be your responsibility wow. to get it right is like, I mean, you got to tell it right. Cause I mean, you can mistell your own story, but that's, you can't mistell somebody else's story. So that was a, a big time challenge for me. And that was personal, but uh, I think the difference with, especially in Jawan is a great example. Like when I figured out we were going to do a story on Jawan, like that, my process before that camera, I ever hit record on that camera was probably six to eight months prior was like, Jawan is, you know, somebody who grew up with a single mom with, um, you know, really not great conditions. Jawan talks about in the the documentary I did, I mean, how many times they got evicted and he had a pretty tough childhood. Thankfully he had the vision to see that there was something more. Um, but that process started, you know, a long time before that. Cause I'm like, I know, and I heard from Mason and Corey Phillips, who was Jawan's high school coach and then worked in recruiting at Vanderbilt. Like he Dugan, he's a hard one to crack. Like you, there's some, there's a wall there, like good luck getting past it. And I was like, all right, challenge accepted. So I'm like in the hall, I'm like, Juwan, what's up? When are you eating lunch? Like Juwan, Juwan, Juwan. I'm constantly just like making sure that I'm in front of his face, like all the time sitting with him, getting to know him, like asking him real intentional questions. And that again, comes back to the fact that not that I had to do a story and I wanted to be it to be good, but that I was, I knew I was going to tell his story and I wasn't going to do it wrong. So those just the relationships, I think, at Vanderbilt and in the position I had were the defining difference between, you know, what I got to do there and what I had done at previous jobs. And and also, like, ESPN is such a big machine and they do such a great job, but they don't have the luxury of sitting, being in the same building as somebody for a year um, or more before they actually get to turn the cameras on. Um, and so to send a, a crew of people they don't know into, you know, a situation like to interview somebody, it's some people can respond well to that. And a lot of really good interviews and people can make those guys or girls comfortable, but, um, Jawan probably wouldn't have been one of those. He needed the, 
personal relationship and to make sure that I went to him and was like, no matter what you say, you'll be the first one to see this. If you say something you regret and you want to take it out, I'll take it out. Nobody sees it before you do. And that has been a fight for me throughout my career because people, you know, there have been people that are like, you know, well, that's a powerful thing. We need to put it in. Like it's not, but it's not yours to put in. It's not your story to tell. Um, You you talk about obviously, you know, when you're working in the Vanderbilt athletic department, you're building relationships with a lot of these players. You're seeing them in, you know, the McGugan Center. You're seeing them in the cafeteria. You're getting to spend years with these guys. What? Uh, how difficult was it? Obviously, during the last few years under Mason, how difficult was it? Obviously, when you're trying to put out media, when you're trying to put out stats, when you're putting out these video productions, and you're part of your job is to report on how Vanderbilt is doing. How, you know, how difficult was it, obviously, during some of those really tough years and you're sitting there, you have to interview some of these guys and you can see the looks on their faces about how, you know, they don't want to be in this losing situation. <laughs> they don't want to be, you know, 0-10. How difficult was that to put out positive content? Was it difficult, obviously, looking at some of these guys that you build relationships with and having to put out stories that maybe this necessarily, you know, positively reflect, you know, certain situations? Yeah, those, and and thankfully, like there were some times where, you know, working with Vanderbilt, I, you know, I got to lean more on the like favorable side. I didn't have to do like non-biased media for a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I was there, thankfully, which does make it easier, but you still got to do a post-game interview after you lost. You still got to mm-hmm. do a, a halftime interview when you're down by 20, 30, whatever it is. So I think that all just comes back to the fact that I don't ask questions in a demeaning way to where it's like, or, or just try not to ask a dumb ones. Like if it's, if there's not, you know, you put guys in situations where if they already trust you, you can ask them an honest question and get an honest answer without them thinking, Oh, here they go. Here she goes trying to screw me over. It's like, you know, if it's someone like Dio or it's someone like Bruno Reagan or it's someone like Jawan or whoever it may be, it's like, they know because they see me every day and that's my job. Like that's my job to ask you a question, but they also know that the intention has a lot to do with it. They know I'm not doing it out of spite or hate. Mm-hmm. And they also, I also try to ask it in a delicate enough way. Um, I don't skirt around things, but I, I ask it in a way that's not like you suck. Why? You know, <laughs> it's like, it's more just like, here's what's happening in the game. Like right. how do you plan to address this going into the next game or what right, happened right, right. today that made you unsuccessful that you guys can work on in practice? And what will that look like? It's kind mm-hmm. of like this, what happened? Why? And like, how are you going to fix it? Like just kind of shifting to like the up and up. Yeah. I've always just been, I've always just been kind of curious, obviously what the uh, what messages were being, you know, were being said, obviously in the in the team meeting rooms, and what was like the demeanor amongst the guys that were in the locker rooms as a fan now, because I just get to watch the games on the sidelines, I get to watch the games from, uh, you know, from the stadium or from at home, and I've constantly was always like, man, I wish I could just see what was going on in that locker room. I wish I could tell. I wish I could hear what Mason was saying to these guys in the meeting rooms, and like what the individual coaches were saying, and you being obviously in the building as well. I just was wondering like, you know, what was, what was the drive for a lot of these guys to take their lunch pail and go to work every day when obviously, you know, especially towards the end of the last few seasons of coach Mason was just like, man, I get, I got to give these guys credit day in and day out, showing up to practice, showing up to meetings, showing up there on Saturdays and trying to, you know, put their best, 
put their best efforts and best product on the field. Uh, same thing, not only from a player perspective, for, but from everyone, from coaches, from media. Did you ever feel like when you're there on staff, like, was it ever hard trying to find that, like, you know, I don't, I don't even know what you want to call it, like motivation, I guess. Yeah, like when gumption, whatever it is. Gumption yeah. or motivation, obviously, when, like, you're, like, halfway through a season and you haven't won a game. And, like, where do you find the passion, obviously, you know, from your perspective going into, you know, each week? Yeah, no, I think that's much easier for, of course, I don't want to see us lose either because I don't want to see, I, I am a huge Derek Mason fan. If you know me, you mm-hmm. know that, like I, I believe in him fully, but I also believe that, you know, the guys are able to show up because the coaching staff showed up for them. That's my mm-hmm. ultimate answer to that. I mean, they, they did, they did that for each other and they did that for the coaching staff because they had made a commitment. Um, I have a feeling, and I know for a fact that that was not easy all the time. Um, easier for me. Cause I'm not the one getting hit when I'm, you know, Oh, and nine, like mm-hmm. it's not, that's, you know, I, I don't have the same. Yeah. There's a physical and mental aspect of the game. Yeah. And, and you feel you know, Oh, and nine mentally and probably, right. and then some. So I think that the answers, they showed up for each other and for their coaching staff. But I think that what I'm happy about is that I think that Vanderbilt as a university and, and I will always love Vanderbilt at being an alumni. And I was obviously not super happy about the way the last year went down. I didn't want to lose my job there. I loved my job. A lot of good things mm-hmm. have come out of it. Um, but I think that what I'm excited for is that the university seems to finally be showing up for athletics. Right. And that's the ultimate thing. That's the, that's really what it all is, is because it's like, you can put a million Derek Masons in his position, but if you don't have the facilities, you don't have the resources and you don't have what you need to be successful or get good recruits through the door, you have a glass ceiling over you. So you can cycle guys in and out. I mean, and yes, like James Franklin had some success there. Like some of that was luck. Some of that was Bobby Johnson's recruits. Some of that is the fact that Franklin was able to get things done because he's a marketing genius, um, in a lot of ways, but like the university finally showing up. Like, I think they're hopefully going to set Clark Lee up to be successful because they're finally taking that next step and investing and at least putting us in the same category. So it's not an uphill battle all academically. And, you know, the size of the student body is already, you know, a challenge of like how many guys you can let in uh, specifically Mm -hmm. for football. And then you have the academic side of it. And then, oh yeah, you're recruiting uphill against South Carolina. Who's also in the bottom tier record wise of the sec, but whose facilities blow ours out of the water. So I think that now, hopefully the same way that Mason showed up for the guys, all throughout his tenure and all the coaches, you know, in the building, I hope that the university is now showing up for Clark Lee in the same way. And then he can again, trickle down to his guys, which I know that he will, but all three of those things have to line up for everybody to show up. You can't show up every day without the university showing up for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not me taking a dig at Vanderbilt. It's just me being thankful that they're finally putting no, absolutely. money where it needs to be. Well, I think even before Coach Lee stepped in the door, I think at the end of last year, I think Candace Lee had to sit down, obviously, with whatever decision mm-hmm. makers there were within the university and had to say, listen, if we want to continue this program, changes need to be made. Obviously, yep. everyone was looking at last season. It's like, come on, guys, we have to do something if we want to continue to put guys in the field out there on Saturdays. Yep. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to field a team. I mean, we had mm-hmm. so many guys more. I mean, Matt talked about this throughout the year. 
guys sitting out transfer portal. I mean, it was insane. I mean, Matt could, Matt could probably tell you a little bit, a little bit more about the stats about that, but <laughs> um, yeah, obviously coach Lee, I think is walking into a great, a better, a better situation. I think than but then, but then again, you know, obviously people say like, well, you know, Mason was handed a program, the best it's ever been. And then obviously by the time he left where it is now, and, you know, people ask questions about like what took Vanderbilt, you know, not just Mason, but what took the university so long, right? Like, obviously we knew changes had to be made, you know, why now, why all of a sudden are they just now, okay, what, you know what, you're right. We need to put money into, you know, we need to put money into the uh, facilities. We need to put money into recruiting. We need to put money into the stadium. Like, I just am really curious as to what took him so long, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, it, without, I mean, yes, I, I totally yeah. agree. I mean, it's right. also like you also, again, I will always love Vanderbilt, but you also cleared staff. You also cleared out like a ton of staff and then you're like, you know, and then you put, you put all this money towards facilities. So it's, it's, it's just, it's hard to know how those decisions are being made above us and why. And, you know, you can, you can run around in circles for forever trying to guess. I have done a little bit of that, but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it just, it, I guess it's just too far above me to know. I don't know why now was the time, but I'm just thankful Mm -hmm. that it came because there are a lot of days as Vandy Mm -hmm. fans were like, okay, you know, you think there's this huge press conference coming and you're like, okay, but like, what does it mean? You're going to talk about maybe potentially investing in the facilities sometime soon, possibly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then when you yeah, come out yeah. and say 300 million and it's, you know, again, I have a ton of respect for Candace. I think she's good. I mean, I, I, I was buying for her to get the job the first time um, around after, you know, David. And, um, but yeah, I, I think that hearing that number and knowing that it's happening and because it's already been committed to is like a, like a sigh of relief for all of us who've tried to just stay on the bandwagon for as long as we can. So speaking about sort of, you know, media in, you know, in-house media, one of the things that I've, you know, Ryan's heard me espouse again and again, and he's probably going to roll his eyes when I say this is one of the things that's actually most impressed me about a certain program is LSU's in-house media team for their football program, basketball program, all that kind of stuff. What is the role of, of the, of the, you know, like, of the, like the in-house media team that you were on at Vanderbilt, what do you see as like sort of their role in sort of the athletic department at large? And how do you see it evolving over the next five to 10 years? And, you know, what makes it so important? That's a really, really good question and a hard question. Um, A lot of things, um, yeah, I'm not here to ask you easy questions. I know, I know, I know. I appreciate it. It's making me think. Um, I can't speak about LSU specifically, and every school operates differently. Especially schools that have media-related majors have a lot more students in there that help on SEC network productions and all of that. My department, which was me, four or sometimes five four to six to seven people underneath me, um, my boss, and then a direct, we have a SEC network director, um, producer, really Doug Stanton. And then one other person that's specifically SEC network. Um, but we all do all of it. So at one point it was practice footage, which we finally got that kind of taken off our plate. Some it's filming. It's every single thing you saw on social video related, every single practice video, every single post game video, the six videos that went up after each baseball game, the intro video we shot and 
for every single sport, all the in-game media, all of the SEC network productions that weren't done by the TV truck. So basically every football game, essentially, um, it might've been, I think it was different this year, but every single football game, um, they sent out a truck with their own talent because there's only, you know, however many home games a year and, it's big time money and ESPN sends out a truck, but we're completely linear capable, which means you can go on the network straight from through fiber, straight to Charlotte, straight to Bristol, um, ESPN to ESPN, U, ESPN one, whatever it is. So every school in the SEC is completely capable of doing that. So every single lacrosse game, um, that was on network every single, which they're not SEC, but we still did those soccer, um, Every single thing they didn't send a TV truck to, we did as our team. So that's like a huge amount. So in a control room, you'd see baseball, actual linear show, we call it, on air with everybody in the front doing that, director, producer, everything. We'd have talent, whether it was me or Max Hers or whoever it was. And we have, you know, in the back, we have somebody running the board show, Um and this, I guess basketball is a good example. So everything you're seeing on the jumbotron or the video board is being run by a team, um, people on the court shooting live, you know, hosts, whether it was me or somebody else hosting the game, then in the front of the room, you have the entire TV broadcast going on. Sometimes those cameras overlap. Then you've got the social people out there shooting it. Also our team from the sidelines to do those cool hype videos after the game. I mean, I could, I could continue this list forever and ever. It is a lot of, it is a lot of stuff. Right. Um, and I'm glad you just gave that breakdown because obviously after just hearing you kind of list off some of those different categories, you don't think about obviously when you're sitting at home and you're watching the TV or mm-hmm. if you're sitting in the sidelines and you're watching the Jumbotron, you don't really realize that there's a lot of moving parts that go in behind the scenes to just make that experience for the fans so much more enjoyable yeah. to just have everything run so smoothly. Right. Right. You know, and for all of these different productions and all these different people to be working together to bring the viewers at home, this in this in product, that's pretty special. You know, you talk about like you've got your broadcast guys who are going, you got someone running the Jumbotron, you got your on the field announcers, you got people behind in the actual video studio, you know, cutting up all the clips to, to make it roll into one, you know, one video. That's pretty neat. I'm glad you gave that kind of breakdown because I know myself and I'm sure people at home listening don't think about that sort of thing and how much actually goes on on game day. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's, it's so many things and it's stuff that I didn't even know till I was at Vanderbilt and I've been at a million live events and I still didn't know what that looked like. And, you know, everybody's talking in each other's ear, like, okay, we're coming from live to roll the video in three, two, one, like you're hearing 6 million things at a time, which would be cool if there's a game that, I mean, once COVID's over, um, you guys should try it or, or, you know, maybe it can connect you with someone that would let you guys kind of see in behind the scenes on that. But it's really, really cool to watch. Um, it is more switches, wires, cables talking than you <laughs> could ever possibly imagine. But wow. it's really, it's really, really cool. And I think to answer the rest of your question, Matt, like I don't know exactly what this looks like. I, I would hope my answer, my hopeful answer would be expand those teams because of people doing that. Because I know how many hours we spent trying to balance that much stuff. But then also I think to the to the broadcast and media. Um, question. I think we'll continue to see this, um, you know, the growth of conference-specific networks, um, whether that's under ESPN or whatever. And then um, I think all of those will be linear capable. I think we'll be seeing, you know, a lot of 
at-home production teams doing most of the games that you see on ESPN. And I guarantee you, you have no mm. idea. You guys would not know. I mean, you might know if, you know, uh, if someone specific, if Kyle, if, um, Kyle Peterson was doing the game for baseball, you might know like, Oh, that's a linear game because it's KP doing it. Um, but you know, for the most part, you wouldn't know the difference between, um, you know, a Vanderbilt like digital production and a linear production. In fact, I'm sure you've seen them interchanged all the time and had no idea there was any difference. So I think you'll see all schools, um, most, at least SEC to start doing most of their own productions. And honestly, I think as much as the ESPN talent is great at what they do, and it's really good to have big names on those games. I think that should still keep happening, but I think it'll be a lot more flying the talent into doing it into those games and then letting their in-house production team, you know, do it. Cause they're the ones that know the stories and the players the best. So I think hopefully expansion of the media team in general, and then a lot more school specific done productions, which, you know, again, like I said, most people probably don't know the difference right now. If they saw it, they have no idea who did what, um, because most schools are pretty highly capable, at least sec and ACC at this point to do that. Yeah. My, my first job in the media was, uh, pulling cables for ESPN at college basketball. Yep. Utility. So, Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and then I, I moved up to being a runner. Yep. But um, that was uh, that was wild. The first time when I was 19 years old, seeing it was like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. And it was completely eye opening. They move to fast, me. too. Like yeah, when runner, runners fast. step up from utility and utility is tough. Like people underestimate how hard it is to wrap cable on command. And those guys move quick. Like we'll have a, we, my friends and I have a joke if we're like out and someone's moving really slow, um, you know, in front of you in line or whatever, someone's like, thank God they don't make TV because it's just like you, you got them. You're constantly moving. It's so quick. And if you're not moving fast enough, you, you miss something or you trip over cable and, you know, bust it in front of however many thousand people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also uh, I didn't, but one of my buddies who worked with me got yelled at by Aaron Andrews, which was really funny at one of the games because he was holding her light, uh, like like her personal light for when they did the sideline interview with the coaches, and he held it at the wrong angle, and she like she lit him up right after she did the interview. It was it was like he was ter- he was t- like his face went completely right. white, like all the blood <laughs> drained out of his face for doing. Dang, that. I'm thankful I didn't I didn't ever do Aaron Andrews lighting. The first time I ever did like lighting for ESPN was at a Vanderbilt game. Um, Maria Taylor was doing sideline who I love mm. Maria Taylor. I'm a huge, oh, she's amazing. I'm a I huge fan of hers. And I don't know if I've ever like told this story, but she, um, she, and especially females in sports is extremely competitive. At least it's getting better now. Cause I think girls are finding or women are finding that community is better than competition. Cause you know, just easier to have each other's back and, um, than it is to, you know, over compete. But I was doing her lighting when she was first starting out, Vanderbilt was playing South Carolina at home. Um, and, she, I was following her around and, you know, you kind of feel annoying because you're like right up in their face with the light all the time. She, and she's trying to pivot seeing, yep. Seeing what's going on the sidelines. So she's running back and forth and you're just kind of following her. Cause if she ends up doing a hit on South Carolina and you didn't follow her from the Vanderbilt sideline, then she's not going to have lighting. So I remember being like, I'm so sorry. I feel annoying. I'm like your shadow. And she was like, you're not my shadow. You're my sunshine. And I was there like, go. I was like, okay, I'm a fan for life. Like it's just the most amazing, like flip, like flipping in perspective. And also that post-game interview was, I was already a Steve Spurrier fan. Cause I think he's 
absolutely hilarious. I almost said the F word. I try not to cuss, but um, he, it's okay. We don't mind. Okay. He is my favorite. And he was doing a post game interview. They barely beat us. I don't know. Maybe Seymour, maybe you remember more about this game than I do, but they can't, we, we had their number for like three quarters. Like we, we, we talking about close. my senior year opener. It was my senior year, the opener when we had it, when we had, you don't know if we had game day or we had some sort of, uh, was it the Thursday night or maybe it was just, maybe it was the first home game. Could have been my senior year. What and was we the hosted, final we hosted score? USC we hosted USC at Vanderbilt. We had, we had, okay. I remember at the stadium, they had brought in all these extra lights. They had all these giant like uh, scissor lifts with all these extra lights on there. There was more media than ever before on this game for Vanderbilt. And it USC. probably was that game. And I think that was, I think maybe you're talking about that one, but we were, man, we were up, we were kicking their butts and uh, we should not have lost that game. Clowney was there. Yeah. Uh, that I think is the maybe, game. maybe I don't know if Connor Shaw was a QB at the time. He might've been, um, but yeah, we had, we and had their ticket. Gave it away in the last, like. Gave it away in the last, like, few minutes of the game. Yes. So Steve's, so that's what the post-game interview, I, like, follow Marie over to, like, you know, the middle of the field to, to do the post-game hit or whatever. And, um, she's like, you know, coach, like, you guys pulled it out today. And, um, and, you know, she asked a really intelligent question. She always does. And, um, you know, how, how are you guys able to, like, finally, like, close in and, you know, make sure you came away with a W? He's like, I don't know, Maria, we're real bad at football. We're bad on offense, bad on defense. We're not good at football. We didn't deserve to win. Our guys didn't play well. We're not good. We're not good at all. And I was just like, like trying not to bust out laughing. I was just holding it all in. And And also trying not to shake the light while you're doing that. While laughing. And so she asked another question and he's just like, uh, no, just not good. Our fundamentals are bad. We're bad. Just like literally so Steve Spurrier of wow. Steve Spurrier. And it was <laughs> the most amazing thing. I'm now a fan. I'm a fan of both of them for life because of that one game. And it was just, it was hilarious. It was not hilarious as a Vandy fan, but the Steve Spurrier interview was like great. Cause he's like, no, we gave it away. They should have won. They deserve to win. They should just count it as a W like we should count it as no, we didn't win. We're not good. And um, it's it's pretty funny. I wish I could go back and find that. Maybe I will one day. Maybe I'll be able to find that. Uh, uh, maybe I can find that and post that to social after. Uh, I mean, maybe after we're done recording maybe I'm remembering it as being more extreme than it really was, or maybe I've like told that story enough times that I'm exaggerating. But I remember it being like very, very just blunt. We're not good at all. I mean, Spurs like, the most quotable coach of all time. One hundred percent. I mean, you know, it's like what uh, what he said after the uh, they had a fire in the Auburn library. <laughs> Have you heard about this one? I don't know if I've heard about this Steve Spurrier quote. No, th- this is back when he was at Florida. This like this like 1992, 93 mm-hmm. in Florida. He's like, well, the real shame was some of the books weren't colored in yet. <laughs> I mean, I cannot say I'm shocked at all. That's amazing. <laughs> That's my favorite one. That's my they favorite one. They came out with like so. 76 quotes from him for his 76th birthday or something like that. I mean, and, and and they had like 760 to choose from. Yep, I'm sure. Hey, real, real, real quick, real quick. I know uh, we're kind of getting towards the end of the show a little bit. Can, Aaron, can you talk to us a little bit about what you're doing, what you're doing now? Obviously, I know you're doing a podcast. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's called The Fringe Element. Yeah, Braden Gall he- named it. That's who I do it with. And yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about it. He, I worked with Braden at Athlon Sports back in the day. Mm-hmm. He also worked for ESPN radio and uh, has done a bunch of stuff. He has a, a couple of different, you know, podcasts. Now he started this network called 440, uh, 440 sports or 440 media, um, that has like now, I think five, 
five or six podcasts under the umbrella. There's a club and country, um, like soccer podcasts for the Nashville, um, like for the soccer league here. Um, there is, you know, predators called the gold standard, a couple other ones, like a media based podcast called Lamestream, which Matt, I feel like that's, if you haven't listened to that one, that's probably like right up your alley. Um, and he has a daily one. that's like the four forty about like sports around Tennessee or whatever, but he came to me, um, you know, probably right after all the Vanderbilt stuff went down and, um, and was like, you know, I really want to do this. Like, I, I want you to, to do it with me. You have like more of an inside, you know, scoop than a lot of us do. And it's not something we always talk about in like mainstream media. And I want you to do it. And I was like, okay, that like, that sounds cool. Um, Braden and I are funny. I love, I like love Braden, but like, we don't always like each other. Like we bicker and fight, which maybe makes for like better podcasting, but, um, we definitely get on each other's nerves. Like it's totally mutual, but that kind of makes it really fun because I, I have a little bit of an asshole sense of humor, so maybe it's a good <laughs> fit. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's, SC, it's all SEC football and which is a challenge for me because I've lived in such a small world. Like I'm always, you know, worried about Vanderbilt facing up against e each SEC school or each other opponent that they're facing week to week. I'm not used to worrying about the whole thing about what everyone's doing. And it's, it's a lot of information to, mm -hmm. to consume. So it's definitely been a challenge. And like you said, Ryan, like the prep work, you know, right. there's oh a goodness. lot to, that goes into it. It's easy when you care about one team and you, and you see them uh -huh. personally on a day-to-day -day basis, but then you're like, you don't have to only have to know what Vanderbilt did against Ole Miss. You also right. have to know about every other matchup, but it's been a lot, it's been a lot of fun. And, um, and hopefully we'll be doing like something a little bit more of a live mm -hmm. show this coming fall and like doing something in person when COVID's over at, um, um, mm -hmm. you know, at a, at a restaurant, I'm, I won't say too much, but hopefully that'll be like the next evolution of that. Um, and I'm starting my own production company. So what? We'll, we'll see how that goes. Oh, I know, whoa, back up here. I know I can't like, I, I, I don't want to jinx it. Cause I have a bunch of things that have to fall into place, but yeah, I mean, no, we talked about it a little bit. We did. Today. Yeah. I, I told you a, a little bit idea. about it. Yeah, I so think I'll, I think that's a great guys, idea. I'll keep you guys posted. I mean, may even call on y'all for help or Matt, like you may have to come in and help me with audio a little bit. Um, but yeah, that should be, that'll be really cool. And hopefully that'll just be like a continuation of the storytelling side of, of things and, and, you know, kind of being able to, to do awesome. that part of it again. Well, yeah, obviously you've got some great experience. You have a great story to tell, obviously the last few years, um, I mean, your time at Vanderbilt, ESPN, your podcast. I mean, you have all the tools now to obviously, if you want to do something on your own and search for a production company, I hope you go for it. I think you're going to do really well. And especially in a town like Nashville, where there are so many different people who could utilize something like that. We talked a little bit about, think about all the artists that live here. Think about how much, you know, the real estate game. I mean, there's so many different avenues that you could tap into that people could utilize a production company. I think you do really, really well. And I hope, uh, I hope you do it. And I wish you the best. Thank you. I'm just going to say it as many times as I need to and like manifest it, hold myself accountable. Yes. Like if I tell everybody under the sun, then I have to do it. So yeah, I better make it happen. I like it. I like it. Well, listen, Aaron, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Where can people find uh, fringe element? Where can people find, where can people find you? Yeah. So, um, on Instagram and mine's not like it's specifically a work Instagram. I kind of just merge everything together. I can't keep up with 
too many accounts. It's too much time on my phone, but my Instagram is just Aaron underscore my last name, which is Dugan, D-U-G-A-N. And Twitter, which I need to be more active on, um, is the Aaron Dugan. I just did that to be snarky because Braden didn't get the Braden gall. So I made sure I snatched it to make him mad. <laughs> um, and then I, the yeah, fringe elements on Apple and Spotify, you can find it. Just type that in. It should pull up when you type in SEC football, but just in case the fringe element, like on the fringe, the crazy fringe culture of college athletics. Um, so yeah, um, check it out. Definitely like subscribe. And where, and where can people find you? Where can people find you after uh, on, on a Saturday? What's your go-to spot? Where's Aaron? Where's Aaron do going to be caught having a drink on a Saturday around Ooh, here? Probably. Well, lately it's been Jasper. So that's where I go for the podcast. So um, oh. that's where we'll go. We'll probably be there. On Jasper's on 12th on uh, right on West end. It's oh, like where the old. No, I'm thinking of Josephine's. Saltines. I'm thinking of Josephine's. You're thinking of yeah. Josephine's, yeah. Oh, Jasper. Jasper's is that like kind of like hexagon shaped white building on uh, right on West End slash Broadway. Yeah. I guess it's still West mm-hmm. End at that point. It used to be called um, Saltine, but it's great. The food's so good. Um, and we hang out there a lot. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be doing a live show from there at some point. Um, so I go there and um, I also love. San Anejo across the street for me. So love Mexican okay. food. Marg and tacos from San Anejo. They have those big TVs and the garage doors. That's it's always right. open. And yeah. Man, if One I name drop, sweet. if I name drop, can I get in? Because the wait these days is like ridiculous. San Anejo, no, I have anywhere. absolutely no pull. Jasper's so that may help you one day. Hey, no, San Anejo, they're gonna be again. like, no, absolutely nothing. No, I'll give you like $6 to buy a taco, but like you will get nowhere with saying my (laughs) name at that restaurant. They might be Uh, like, oh, that girl who comes here three times a week. Like literally she's just always here. We have no affiliation. Honestly, we're we're not sure if we're going to let her back in here now. They may not (laughs) at this point. Just like get out of here. Well, thank you guys um, seriously for having me on. That was a lot of fun and I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Now we always kind of end the podcast Giving the old anchor down. So if you can give us your oh, best yeah. anchor down. We'd oh, wait, no, I don't it. have to say it, do I? Yeah. You, okay, well, you all yeah. have to do it with me. I'm not doing it alone. Oh, Matt, what do you think on this? Is your, is your vote? I I mean, uh, I, I will I will let the lady uh, choose how she okay, wants to anchor right, down. So, what a, what a you know, right? She's the guest. Yeah. So uh, uh, until uh, next time, everybody. Anchor uh, down. Anchor down. Oh, I didn't know if you were going to do the wind up. Oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. We just, okay, no. well, I missed it. Should we redo we, it? No, it's all right. Okay. <laughs> it's all good. No, no, no. We just go, it's, uh, it's one take magic. Here. Okay, yeah, well, it, shoot. I just talked about the importance of being ready on live production. So we see how right. that went. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.